Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of my Friends with Wheels podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of uh, talking with Amy Bardo. She works um, with kids and adults who have learning disabilities and ADHD in a variety of fields, whether it's education and other related areas of expertise. Um, She has over 20 years of experience helping out these individuals, so I'm really excited to talk to her and get to know a little bit about her work and what she does to help these folks uh, in a variety of ways. So I hope you tune into this episode. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how you got involved with you know, LDA and sort of your background um, uh, with sort of mental health and advocacy and stuff like that? Sure. I have been in education um, as a teacher for, I don't know, somewhere around 30 years almost. Um, And I started out in general education and then I ended up working with students with learning disabilities and ADHD. Um, I actually ended up at a a private school in our area for specifically for kids with learning disabilities and ADHD for grades one through 12. Um, And I just really found my niche. I became their executive director and in everything that comes along with those things. So, you know what I mean? The more, the more people you're connected with, the more you realize what things go into their daily life or just how they think about themselves or the world around them. And I happened to connect with another director of a a school similar to ours and had been chatting with her and she was at that time the president of um, LDA of Michigan and so as we were talking she basically just sort of pulled me onto their board and I became a volunteer and it's been um, 21 years-ish since then. I did take a little time like when my kids were in junior high I had to step back a little bit but um, got to go back and and for me, I've stayed because of, I just find it to be a fabulous network. Um, it's a great group of people, but I also love that it really brings together parents and teachers and adults with learning disabilities and professionals. And for me, I have found that to be really important because it's a more holistic approach, I guess. Um, you know, for me, I'm still involved with other organizations that are more professional organizations or teacher organizations. And while I love them, I find LDA is like my passion because of the fact that it really combines all those communities and, and really stretches and really looks at a person as a whole person versus just a person in school. Um, and then I'm an adult with ADHD. So I kind of found that I was accepted. I learned a lot about myself. and you know, I'm able to use my gifts and people get it when I have an ADHD moment. So that's been important to me. Um, but then also as a parent, I have a daughter who has dyslexia and two that have ADHD. And it's, um, I know that, and I was with LDA just before I had had them. So I know that being with that network helped me navigate for them successfully for their education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, so like what, do you do um, to support students in like their educational journey? Because you have a variety of backgrounds. um, So Mm -hmm. like from a mental health kind of perspective, um, 
just how do you like get these kids, you know, with with learning disabilities, you know, the opportunity to be successful in the classroom? Because I'm sure there's a lot of steps that go with that. There can be, um, and it varies. And I did find I was in a private school, so that was slightly helpful, but it's so different for every individual. So I always think that, you know, one of those components is there are things that we can generalize about learning if you have a learning disability or we can generalize about some content. But at the same time, we have to remember that it's individual for everyone and they're bringing in their own individual experiences and how we think about ourselves and how we think about the world around us are impacted by all of those things. So I think for me, a few important things is you know, one of the aspects that becomes a large discussion and can be kind of controversial is the concept of a label. So I'll hear a lot of teachers, individuals, parents saying, I don't want a label, I don't want a label, the labels are negative, blah, blah, blah. And I completely agree with that component, but I also am a firm believer that it's really important to know what your, it doesn't have to be a label, but you have to know how your brain is working. You have to know kind of what your strengths and challenges are. And we can't, we don't have to make permanent decisions based on it. Like I wouldn't say to a young person, you're never going to be able to do this or you're never going to amount to whatever or whichever because of this learning disability. But I am going to say some of this stuff might be harder and it's important for you to know why. It's not an intelligence factor. It's simply how you process information or how your brain uses it or how it responds to it. And so knowing the strengths and challenges are really important for them to be successful. I also always stress that it doesn't matter if you're eligible or qualify for special education or not, because a lot of my kiddos with dyslexia are not in special education. And so then there's this, this mental set that I don't have a disability anymore. And so then they can't understand why things are so hard. They just it's a whole different piece. So even that discussion of, you know, even in our communities, that there are students with disabilities who are not in special education. It's not just special education. And so, you know, embracing that, that fact that we are all different. And another piece in it, it's really hard to quantify as far as different steps, but what I find to be really important is the, the more we can talk with kids about this when they're younger and help them find those strengths and challenges and find strategies to address those challenges, not expect perfection at all, but really reinforce that concept that even though we might all be studying the same thing, we don't have to be doing the same thing all of the time and helping it be okay to accept help um, or accept learning strategies because I find that that tends to be one of the largest obstacles with an individual is it's frustrating to need help. And mm-hmm. so sometimes they don't want to, sometimes they've been told or they've internalized that they shouldn't need to ask for help. They should be able to do this on their own. Everybody else can do this on their own. And we really just need to be able to normalize the fact that there is nobody who can do everything all on their own. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's important. Um, so like I've heard a lot about, um, relationship building and sort of the like the um and how it's important not just like Mm. to really maintain that relationship uh in uh, not from like a peer to student perspective 
So like, I'm wondering what like relationship building is and like, how do you establish relationship building like between students um, with learning disabilities and their peers so that they can, you know, have the trust and support, you know, to have that success in the classroom. So I'm wondering sure. if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's a, a few different things. And I think the biggest thing that like adults need to remember is that the largest scale that we need for doing this is patience. And we need patience because kids are developing. It, it will include a lot of repeating the same things over and over again. And if we want to reinforce that everyone is an individual, then we need to you know, be ready to have to repeat that frequently, but then also act that. You know, kind of like live that because a lot of times right now we're saying yes everyone is in, in different and individual but you all have to do the same thing and you have to do it the same way and so that negates that exact you know individual message so really being able to express that you know everyone is different and that's good and some of those differences are great and some of those differences can be a challenge or a pain in the butt but that's okay and I mean now nobody's going to be perfect you know all the time but I think honesty with the structure also it, it can be difficult because you don't you don't want to disclose anyone's personal information so it can be really challenging you know to really be able to be completely open and honest but I always encourage my students to you know once they've been educated about their own disability I encourage them to speak about it and in them to kind of know what their strengths and challenges are because it's a different level of advocacy but I have definitely found that if I continually just get used to my mantras, like, you know what, we're all different. Some people have an off day, some people have an on day, but then I also support that in my actions, you know, providing uh, sometimes a variety of types of assignments or, you know, being okay with knowing if you understand something, there may be different ways that you can show me that you understand it or turn it in. And so it does require sometimes some flexibility on my part or my time. Um, and so that does sometimes become a challenge, but at the same time, it's so rewarding because as the adult, you don't even realize how much of your students that you're not seeing when they're all doing exactly the same thing. You just learn so much more about them. You can help them grow as a person versus you know, everybody blunting in the same, but I think, so it requires a lot of conversation. It requires a lot of trust and being able to be vulnerable. Um, and then for me, I'm able to share with my students my own, my own learning, you know, trajectory and what kinds of things have worked for me. But then I also have to be patient with what worked for me may not work for everyone with ADHD. That's the other component of that, right? We're all so little different. So people will be like, I don't know if I can trust you because that doesn't work for me. I'm like, okay, well, it doesn't work for you. So let's find something else that does. Or they've been told something should work for them. So a lot of times it's, the older they get, the more it's also a little bit of unraveling negative experiences. And just yeah, being okay with that. It's, it's a little bit more than requiring positive language only in our classrooms. It's about letting that honesty and that real life kind of piece is coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that, I see what you're saying. 
Um, like, so I want to like talk about like what sort of resources are needed to like support students uh, with disabil disabilities in an educational environment, because a lot of them, you know, are going mm -hmm. through a lot of different things like, you know, some of them have are going through mental health, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. So like, how do you how do you support how do you like, um, make sure that you know what resources are needed to support um, students who you know are going through those challenges sure. and um, what sort of things need to be like addressed to you know address those issues mm. um you know some of the things I see like a, a large gap that I see and I'm not 100% sure how to address it in larger environments but a gap I see is really developing that authentic culture of inclusion. And for me, inclusion doesn't necessarily mean everybody is in the same place all the time. What it means really is that in our spaces and in our attitudes, we're thinking of everybody as we're doing our planning. And so how are we doing this? Because right now it tends to be students with disabilities tend to be considered later, sort of like an add-on. Like we're going to do blah, 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 blah. Oh, what do we do for this group? Whereas that's not the case. They shouldn't necessarily be a separate group all of our students, it's all of our community, it's all of our culture, what do we need to support all of them? And, you know, I think it becomes challenging for, for students as far as framing that thought when special ed is treated so differently as far as a different space, a different location. And so I think, you know, some of those mental health supports, there needs to be more, and it's very challenging because counselors for the most part are looking for they're doing guidance things, you know, they're doing college planning, they're doing um, enrollment. Um, and so they're not always able to work directly to support mental health of students. And, and so some of that, like our students need point people. They need people that they know that they can go to. There need to be some options if there's not a match between that. I mean, you know, not everybody's gonna have that like chemistry that allows them to trust somebody. So being able to be a little flexible um, with that and, and really supporting mental health requires discussion. And so it, it requires time, you know, and, and it requires time for not only for that discussion, but sometimes just some downtime. So I think sometimes we're afraid of downtime in schools and I completely understand why and want to be productive every minute of the day, et cetera. But we're learning with wellness and, and health and self-care that even being productive requires some levels of focusing on ourselves versus continually communicating with someone else producing something. I think we need to think about some of that structure and, and what's required, particularly for our kids with anxiety. You know, what are some of those transitions? Sometimes we just need to let them know things ahead of time, reassure it's going to be okay. And then on top of that, know they may be irritable by change. So responding to that irritation with more irritation increases their anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so as adults, you know, we're, it's really hard to, adults tend to feel like they're losing control if they're not in charge. I'm like, well, when you are forming that environment or you're even providing that, that kind of structure and responding to a student, you are in control. You are in control whether you respond and how you respond. That is control of the situation. Mm -hmm. And we need to do a better job sometimes because our brains will automatically react emotionally. And so that rational kind of thought and reasoning 
requires an extra effort. And we don't even always register that that's necessary. We don't realize our amygdala is taking over and we're responding to this emotionally. And as an adult, how I respond to a kid will make truthfully a way much longer impact than how the kid responds to me. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, but I, I, I see what you're saying. It's going to take a lot of work to sort of, you know, get that done. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And um, so if I could like ask this last question here, because I know there's like a lot of stigma around people with uh, learning disabilities and stuff. And it's, it, it can be, you know, very, you know, you know, bizarre and, and, uh, it's like a very, there's a stigma basically around mm -hmm. people with learning disabilities. So I'm wondering how can we come collectively to like uh, make sure to like really not, not completely eradicate the stigma because sure. I think there's still going to be stigma, but yeah. like in a way, like reduce it so that we could like come together, you know, be more understanding and just Sure. support each other so I'm wondering how you can do that yeah um, I know that some of the work that I've done one of the big challenges is just the dis narrative like that disability and you know people feel very negative about that word or concept because it is you know I mean dis is a negating place right so I mean not ability if you take the literal translation and while I completely and fully agree with that, I'm like, that doesn't mean they're not able to do things. It is currently also about the, the term, the legal term. That's how people are able to access their entitlements and their rights that are so important. And, and it's important to be able to acknowledge that it's really about, you know, not doing things the way a neurotypical person would do that, not processing that. And so I think if if we're able to, I mean, it, I don't know, it may sound silly, but you know, sometimes if we're even able to say, you know, not able to do it quite the same is so different than not able to do it at all. Or can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and actually like my college daughter and I, one of my girls, we just had a conversation about it recently and she was really frustrated because she'd had a good education, but she really felt like there should have been more discussion in classrooms about how we think and how we process information individually, like personally versus, I mean, teachers are doing good things and it's good practice to do think aloud and model for your students. You know, what am I thinking while I'm doing this, et cetera. But it's so different to actually talk to kids about how they're thinking about it. Because one of her perspectives was just that a lot of people who think differently don't even know they're thinking differently. They just assume everybody's thinking the same way they are and they can't figure out why that's not working. And so we just, in mental health wise, it's like you just feel less than, you know, all the time. So I think the more we could structure some of those conversations around, oh, well, that's how, that's how you're thinking about it. How are you thinking about it? And, you know, it's not necessarily you're thinking about it wrong, but you might not be making the same connection. So that could make this harder for you or not harder for you. Um, you know, so the more we can do that, and sometimes even folks who think differently, they will know that, but they don't feel like it's okay, like you're not supposed to, or mm -hmm. like it should be hidden. And there is no way any human being can live with those kinds of thoughts. Like I'm supposed to keep this hidden. I'm supposed to be doing this like everyone else and not have some level of anxiety or develop some level of depression because human beings, 
compare ourselves to each other. That's just kind of how we're wired. So as adults, we really need to be careful about how we are comparing kids to each other, even when we're not meaning to, because that comparison can drive you know, their thinking. So it is a matter of finding the strengths and challenges. But I also, from my perspective too, I would say it's also a matter of not hiding from the challenges. So mm-hmm. I, I've seen sometimes it's it's really, um, sometimes we really want to focus so much on the strengths that it's almost like saying there aren't challenges. And that can also be you know, dangerous because if you really think that all of these things are good, either those other things that are so bad, we don't want to talk about it, or I'm supposed to be, you know, perfect in that area, or they don't matter at all. And so then when we do face a challenge, we don't know why, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of a brick wall. So developing some of that perspective and, and resilience, I think is, is really important. And that whole concept of stigma is it's also interesting because I've seen some organizations now where, like, I love what you are doing and you're talking to people who are knowledgeable and involved, but not necessarily like the superstars. And I think that becomes really important because there's, it's, it's necessary to like, we do all these campaigns about successful people learning disabilities. And that's really, really important. And generally what we're also showing is like the anomalies of success, right? Like the Richard Bransons, who is amazing. And I tell my students about him all the time and I want them to understand his journey. And I am so thankful that he shares his journey, but I also want kids to realize you don't have to be aspiring to be a Richard Branson to actually embrace your challenges. You know, you can be doing anything in everyday world. You don't have to end up being a superstar in an industry or something to make it worth it. And that there are other people um, who have success, however that's defined, that aren't talking about it. And I, and I think that that's always an interesting aspect. We do a lot with um, you know, different campaigns and it's fascinating to me that it can be challenging for me to get adults with dyslexia to like talk about having dyslexia because they figure they're adults now it doesn't matter. I didn't have to do anything hard, I, you know, whatever. And because um, I just, you know, if you're not receiving support for your disability, then maybe you don't have one. And I'm like, no, that's not quite the case. And I think that's part of that stigma. Like there is a level of severity where then you should be considered disabled, which I understand that for certain purposes. But, you know, if, if I'm doing well and I'm successful and, you know, I'm healthy or I'm at least functioning, then, you know, I should just be able to suck it up is not quite where we need to be with that. Yeah, all really important points. I completely agree. All right, everyone, that does it for today's episode of my Friends with Wheels podcast. I had the pleasure of talking to Amy Bardo and sort of the knowledge and expertise that she has in helping kids and adults with learning disabilities and ADHD in a variety of ways. I really got to enjoy just, I really had like a lovely conversation with her about all the things that she does in, you know, her work and how she helps these individuals become successful in the classroom, but also outside the classroom. Anyway, I hope you tune in for more episodes in the coming, in the future.
thank you and hope you guys have a lovely day.